You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma podcast. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Excited to share this episode with you today. But before we do, I've got to thank our sponsors. First of all, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. They've been a huge part of this podcast for the last few years. So the Oklahoma Hall of Fame have been sharing Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com. And for daily updates, go to Oklahoma HOF on Instagram and give them a follow. Our other sponsor today is the Chickasaw Nation. Now, the Chickasaw Nation have sponsored pretty much everything in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma. And it's an honor to have their name and their brand supporting this podcast. So a huge shout out to Governor Anatoby for supporting this podcast. It really means a lot. And finally, our third sponsor is 988. The Oklahoma 988 Mental Health Lifeline, 988 is a direct three-digit lifeline that connects you with trained behavioral health professionals that can get all Oklahomans the help that they need. Learn more by visiting 988oklahoma.com. That's 988oklahoma.com. And now, let's get into today's episode. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting across the table from... I think an Oklahoma legend. Uh, Mr. Stan Clark is here with me, uh, most famously known for Eskimo Joes, but we're going to dive into a lot of other cool things that you do and things that you do for fun now. But thank you so much for coming down from Stillwater today. Excited to to dive into your story. Uh, You were inducted into the Oklahoma Hall of Fame in 2012. Um, But yeah, I'll let you tell the rest of your story. How, I guess, uh, uh, born and raised in Tulsa? Yes, sir, that's correct. Born in... uh 1953, yeah, February 15th, and then St. John's Hospital. <laughs> funny, funny, dear. My parents tell the story. My dad, uh, my dad took a break and went over to Utica Square, which is right across the street. Yeah, I was having breakfast when I was born. <laughs> you know, today, came back and there you were. <laughs> today, today that wouldn't fly. Right. You know, you're kind of supposed to hang around when when that happens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of a funny, fun and funny story. Yeah. My parents. Uh, I love to tell this story. My parents met the first day my mother came to to school in Independence, Kansas, from a farm in Elk City, Kansas. And uh, my dad was hanging out with my namesake, a fellow by the name of Stan Lewis. And the first time he laid eyes on my mother, he punched Stan. He said, that's going to be my wife. Wow. I mean, I, you know, now <laughs> this confidence. was obviously a long time ago, yeah. probably uh, they were born in 28. So mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe he was 14 or 15. So, you know, what would that have been? Anyway, long That's time awesome. ago. But uh, I love to tell that story. Of course, they were, they were married um, very young and then married until um, until he passed. So and my mom's still still alive, still with me. Yeah. And uh, lives lives in Stillwater now. In fact, at Legacy Village. So yeah. thrilled that she moved to Stillwater. She she lived at home by herself and still driving around Tulsa up until just about a year ago. Wow! And uh, she'll be ninety four this month. So. Oh, that's incredible! Happy birthday to your mom. That's awesome to be <laughs> that old and still going and still with it. And like, I mean, driving around at ninety four. I'm sure that's probably scares you more than it does her, right? <laughs> hey, you know, it's funny. I actually pulled up alongside her a couple of days ago in Stillwater, and uh, I couldn't get her attention. So thank goodness she was very focused. <laughs> Ten and but, two. <laughs> but bless her heart. Uh, oh, that's awesome. She's she's doing well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Grew up in Tulsa. Do you have siblings as well? I do. I have one sister, uh, mm-hmm. five years older than me. Uh, her name is Linda. And, uh, you know, growing up together, five years is a pretty big separation. Yeah. So we weren't, like, just super tight. Um, but we were always cordial and happy, yeah. you know, happy together. But just not not a whole lot of common interests. One of my favorite um, things about having had a sister, though, who was five years older, was that um, she had a record player mm. and lots of records. And so I, I spent a lot of time sitting in front of her record player when she wasn't at home and spending, and spending uh, you know, 45s on her little flip-down, uh, you know, stereo system. But uh, at any rate, 
Yeah. Lots of fond memories. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, still very close. Yeah. She lives in Edmond now, and uh, unfortunately, her her husband passed about a year ago, and so um, you know she's a widow now. But, right. But doing doing well. There's five years between me and I'm the oldest, but there's five years between me and my brother, and I totally get it because we grew up totally different. You right. know, like he, I'm I'm 32, and he grew up, you know, like kind of as the social media age was kicking off and I wasn't, you know, I was before that. But yeah, it's uh, now obviously we're better friends than we were growing up because we just kind of like in each other's way, I think, when we grew up. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, it's, I'm certain that's the way my sister felt oh, yeah. about me. You described it perfectly. Right. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> it's, five years, is, it is a big gap, isn't it? And it's like so much is different. Like, you know, the ways you grew up, like I grew up playing outside. My brother grew up playing Call of Duty, you know, like <laughs> totally different. So I get it. I know, you, I know how you feel. So, so growing up in Tulsa, then you know, obviously older sister and, and mom and dad are there. I mean, what's well, like the little dream as a kid? Like, what what did you want to go do when you're you know? Do you want to be an astronaut, fireman? Like, what 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 was what was the dream of, of Stan back in the day? Well, you know, uh, we were pretty big sports fans as a family. My parents um, big Yankees fans, uh-huh. so um, I kind of grew up. I liked baseball, played played baseball. Um, you know. So that, that was that was kind of about all I remember um, in terms of really an aspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, sports, loved it. Um, played a little bit of football, a little bit of basketball, and fortunately, my father introduced me to golf when I was young enough that I remember thinking it was a lot cooler to drive a golf cart than it was to hit a golf ball. But but I was playing uh, that young. Unfortunately, never took a lot of lessons. Um, and so I, I never became, you know, a really excellent golfer. It's always been kind of a field thing for me. But but it's still a passion and yeah, something yeah. I still love to do. And, and fortunately, something, you know, you can do for, for all of your life. Yeah. So um, today I'd say, you know, if I do have free time, that's that's where I'm going to you know, try to go try to go get in a game yeah, or, or have some fun on a golf course. But I do love that. What I would um, tell you, though, about that question my dad kind of talked to me a lot about thinking entrepreneurially from Mm -hmm. the time I was really young so when I went off to college uh, at Oklahoma State University and I went through the College of Business I really was always kind of thinking about how I would apply those principles I was learning to maybe my own concern at some point in time yeah I had no idea you know that it would happen uh, as quickly as it did um, once I got out of college. But, uh, but at any rate, it's kind of interesting that I did have that orientation. And he really started kind of preaching that to me um, really fairly young. And uh, I, just, I just always remember that. Um, and, of course, I remember life lessons, you know, along the way that um, typically those— um, those happen around a rather traumatic event, you know? Yeah. Sadly. <laughs> that's that's, do, that's I, what you remember. Yeah. But, uh, but at any rate, um, just, just remember one time, uh, dad telling me to, to, um, always try to understand any situation from the other person's point of view. And, you know, years later, I've been in business 15 years and I study Stephen Covey's the seven habits of highly effective people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so Covey, um, Covey would describe that as seek first to understand and then to be understood. And I thought, oh, yeah, my dad was teaching me that lesson when I was about 10. Yeah. And, uh, and ironically, I listened to our office meeting via Zoom as I drove to Oklahoma City this morning, and we were actually on that specific topic. We're going through it uh, week by week. Um, as a, as an office team, it, this is 18 of us on the on the Zoom call this morning, and uh, and it's just interesting. I, I started diving into that and those principles 32 years ago. Yeah, and uh, still still enjoy it. You can't revisit it too often. And uh, if asked, you know, what was a major book that that you really think had an impact on your life? Uh, for me, it was uh, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Dr. Stephen Covey. Yeah. So clearly then from a young age, you had entrepreneurial just kind of in your mind and was around it and thought maybe one day I will go on to do my own thing. You know, I really did. Dad not only uh, preached it, but he um, he demonstrated it. Yeah. So um, as I was growing up, 
Um, we lived in a nice little house, you know. I wasn't uh, I wasn't impoverished by any stretch of the imagination. Although my parents were, they were definitely depression era <laughs> kids and and just didn't have anything, you know. But um, but at any rate, um, we lived in about a eight hundred, not maybe nine hundred square foot little home and in um, in Tulsa, um, and then. Um, once my dad formed a company and became an owner and not just an employee, mm-hmm. um, wow. I mean, the difference, we moved from that little 900-square-foot home to to about five miles south of where we were to a parade of homes house, literally the south edge of Tulsa at the time, mm-hmm. brand-new home, 3,200-square-foot. I'd never been in a house like that, never even dreamt of a house like that. But so, you know, that, that makes an impression on a young person. Yeah. So um, my mom continued to drive my sister and I back to our old neighborhood to allow me to finish fourth grade, but more importantly, for her to finish ninth grade at Bell Junior High School, me at Burbank um, Elementary School. And so then Linda could enter Memorial High School, um, you know, as a sophomore, mm-hmm. at least she didn't have to move in the middle of her of her ninth grade year in junior high, which would have been relatively traumatic, I presume. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's just kind of an interesting story, and again, just a commitment, dedication to my parents. You know, the way yeah. we were loved and raised, that was important to them. But fast forward then to my first day of fifth grade at Francis Scott Key Elementary School. Um, I met my original partner, Steve File. Okay. And so Steve and I were friends from fifth grade all the way through high school and then um, all the way through Oklahoma State University. We both graduated in 71, went to OSU, both graduated in May of 75. And I don't know if we want to skip all the rest of that portion of my life or not, but if we do, um, two weeks after we graduated in May of 75, I'm laying on the couch at Steve's home. Uh, his parents bought a house in, uh, when he moved to Stillwater, and he actually leased out bedrooms to other high Small school man. friends of ours. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant move on their part. Right. And uh, I'm laying on the couch, and Fowl walks in and goes, Hey, Clark, I'm going to open a bar. I said, That's a cool idea, Steve. I'll go in partners with you. And uh, I know where there's this neat little two-story building for rent. And we... Jumped in his 1953 Chevy, and we tooled down Ramsey uh, around University, down Knobloch, turned right on Elm. This is a total of about four blocks. Yeah. And uh, pulled up in front of what is now today Eskimo Joe's. And I always say, as, as fate would have it, the then owner of the building was there that Sunday afternoon. Had he not been, I don't know if we'd ever gone back. Yeah. I don't know if we'd ever... Right. Pursued this thing. This is a wild hair. There's a 15-minute window that determines my my whole uh, life path. But he was there, and as we looked around, he said, Now, boys, if you want it like you see it, it's $350 a month. If you want me to put an air conditioner in this, it's going to cost you $400. And we go, Well, sir, we'll certainly need the air conditioning. We'll take it. <laughs> so that's the inception of Eskimo Joe's. Yeah. Just an absolute wild hair knock on wood that's crazy right thanks timing's the best thing ever thank goodness that i had that um orientation to think entrepreneurially yeah yeah yeah. hey that'd be cool yeah i'd like to do that because it goes back to your dad like just it goes back to the memory of you going into that new house and being like this is a product of my dad owning his own business right right. and all the other examples that you probably had over the years of success because you saw it firsthand through what you know it would have been different if you'd have grown up in that 3200 square foot house maybe right because then you you don't know what the building phase of like how dad's business gone gone from you know growing up in, in which is sets the the kind of tone, didn't it, for your, it did your entrepreneurial it did spirit. Indeed. And the other piece of it that I, I, I have to um, share is also just the passion that my dad had for his business, for his team, and for his customers. Um, my mom and he just entertained their customers uh, just, you know, at every opportunity. And interestingly, his company was based in Tulsa, but they didn't do any work in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. It was in the distribution um, natural gas pipelining industry. 
And uh, they worked in South Dakota. They worked in Minnesota. They worked in the Southeast. Yeah. Some. And they were just, they worked everywhere around the country, but they never worked in Oklahoma, which I just find so ironic. <laughs> but lots of, lots of um, weeks, Dad would leave early on a Monday morning and drive to where their, where their work sites were and um, job sites were and, and would get back, you know, late Friday evening. Um, from a from a whole week on the road, and that was that was actually fairly typical. Uh, my sister married very young, and so I was kind of raised almost really as an only child from about the time I was 12, 13 mm-hmm. until I graduated um, from Memorial High School in in Tulsa, and then decided kind of in the eleventh hour I'm going to go to Oklahoma State. I'd, I didn't ever even go on a campus visit anywhere else. Um, a neighbor friend of ours I'd known growing up had gone to Oklahoma State, and I thought, yeah, I'll probably go over there. Yeah. I'll ha- I have to share this story. So um tell my mom, well, Mom, I think I'm going to probably go to Oklahoma, set, Oklahoma State. And she goes, well, why would you go there? Their football team is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love to share that story with, you know, Anybody who doesn't think that athletics is important to why why a child might decide where they're going to go to college, I, I, I would beg to differ. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but definitely. she didn't talk me out of it, and uh, you know I was kind of raised a Sooner fan. Uh, my parents, you know, moved to Tulsa actually right before I was born in mm-hmm. nineteen. Uh, I was born February fifteenth in nineteen fifty three. I believe they moved to Tulsa late nineteen fifty two. But they were certainly um, around during Bud Wilkinson's amazing run at the University of Oklahoma and all those wins in a row and, and all of that. And they, they, they certainly became a big OU fans during that era. And uh, so I was raised an OU fan. That's hilarious. Yeah. That's really funny how <laughs> things turn out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, hey, Oklahoma's a small state. Oh, yeah. As I've had the... Joy of being in business for over 47 years now, I can tell you this. When I travel the country and I say I'm from Oklahoma, first thing out of 99% of the people's mouths is, oh, the Sooners, man, you guys are awesome. And then I'll sort of have to bet, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm from a little bit north of there, but uh, but yeah, yeah, they're, they're pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. So what did you go to university for? Do you have any idea? It's like, I'm going to go and figure it out. I'll well, do business. I, I, I went to be a business okay. major. And again, I, that entrepreneurial mm-hmm. kind of worldview, um, I knew I wanted to be in business. You know, um, I had no idea I was going to get started business when I was 22 years old. That's certain. But I felt like I wanted, that was, that was certainly the, um, the discipline I yeah. wanted to pursue. And I wanted to learn about business and was interested in business. Yeah. So. Knock on wood. So a few, you know, four years later, and you graduate, and like I said, fate would have it. You yeah. end up renting this two-story building, <laughs> right, for four hundred dollars right. in air conditioning. Yeah. And you know, interestingly, when we first opened, there was actually an apartment upstairs. And yeah, there's a poor guy living up mm-hmm. there, and uh, we blasted him out of there within about two weeks after we opened Joe's. I mean, literally, you know, one of the main things we had going for us was the great music we were playing, yeah. and. Uh, we put a big stereo in this tiny little room, you know, four speakers in each corner. And so the place was, the place was jumping in and the sounds were thumping and yeah. uh, he had no. So we ended up renting the upstairs very quickly. Then after we kind of blasted him out and, and for a short time, Steve and I actually lived up there. And then it didn't take us long to figure out, hey, we need to expand the business. We can find another place to live. And so um, we actually got the upstairs of Eskimo Joe's open then by the fall of 75, just in time for the Bedlam football game that, Mm. that year. So that's when we opened the upstairs of Eskimo Joe's. Yeah. So you mentioned music, and obviously you mentioned music back when your, your sister was playing and you had access to a record player when she wasn't around. Right. <laughs> Music's obviously a big passion of yours and was kind of a key then in the business as well. You know, it really was. Um, one of the things that, well, okay, so here it's the simplest business in the world. We're a 3-2 bar back when the drinking age was 18. Mm-hmm. So, you know, anybody 18 and over could come in the place, um, back in 75, really the local moray was, if you had a college ID, you could go to the local bars. Yeah. So, um, and most most kids aren't don't get to OSU until they're 18, but some could have been 17. Sure. 
at any rate, obviously different, a different era, just a whole different time. So we had we had cold beer, we the, the beer, it's homogenous, you know. Yeah. There's only Coors and Bud, pretty much. Um, there wasn't any such thing as light beer in 1975. Um, I loved Coors, so so we tapped Coors. We only had Coors on tap. We had Budweiser in long necks. Love this. I love this. A draft beer in 1975 was 30 cents for a 10-ounce draw and a 60-ounce pitcher we sold for $1.35. <laughs> um, a lot of times we'd have 10-cent beer specials. Yeah. So one of our early hook lines was, 10-cent um, brew, a dollar will do. <laughs> <laughs> ten, yeah, ten, ten would be plenty. That's crazy. <laughs> but uh, interestingly, the product was um, considered non-intoxicating alcoholic beverage, three point two percent maximum by weight, and uh, and it was controlled by OTC. Anything stronger was controlled by Able. So anyway, that was yeah. that was just the nature of the marketplace back in nineteen seventy five. So, um, so what we had going for us was we wanted, we wanted our beer to be the coldest, certainly matched up with the name my original partner, Steve, came up with, Eskimo Joe's, yeah. you know. And uh, people, of course, always ask, how'd you come up with that name? Well, Steve made it up, and uh, I was like, really? What does that mean, Eskimo Joe's in Stillwater, Oklahoma? But the only thing I could think about it was, well, it's so bizarre. Maybe people will remember it. You right. know, it's just just out there. Yeah. And I did kind of like the the rhyme, the Eskimo Joes or Mojo. You yeah. know, that kind of a sound. But most importantly, every time the name issue came up, all of Steve, Steve, and all of our friends would start chanting Eskimo Joes, Eskimo <laughs> Joes. So I knew I knew we were going there oh, yeah. uh, pretty quickly. Um, but thankfully, you know, I had had three hours of marketing at Oklahoma State University, so I, f I figure that kind of makes me a marketing <laughs> guru, right? You know, but I knew we needed a logo from my principal's marketing class, and I remember studying logos and that 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 um, that mark that would automatically conjure up our business in the heart and mind of our guests, uh, with or without the name attached. I remember studying about the Coca-Cola logo being the most uh -huh. famous one in the world, and that you know people would know uh, the logo just even if they were blind, they could hold a Coke bottle in their hands, and the, even the shape of the bottle was so iconic, and all that. Well, because that's in my mind, I'm thinking we've got to come up with a logo. We had no idea where we would get a logo. Didn't even think of maybe an advertising agency or anything along those lines. But thankfully, Steve's younger brother knew a kid. Yeah. <laughs> he said, hey, I know a guy. He's a freshman commercial arts student here. His name's Bill Thompson. I bet he could do it. Cool. Well, let's call him. So Bill drives up in front of Joe's. And he's driving a VW bus, you know. He gets out of his VW bus. He's got hair down, you know, clear down to his rear end. And this is long-haired kid, VW bus, California plates on it. I thought, he looks like an artist. So, sure enough, Bill sets up shop in one of the front windows of what's now Eskimo Joe's. And on an art pad, you know, just a full-size artist pad with a magic marker, he knocks out Eskimo Joe and Buffy. It's never changed at all. Yeah. And I fell in love with that name because it had some meaning for me. So there's Eskimo Joe, biggest smile I've ever seen. And Buffy the Wonder Dog sitting there next to him. You know, it's a boy and his dog. It's a universal theme. And uh, wow, what a blessing. Yeah. You know, it was just one of those things. So I remember saying, Steve, I love it. What do you think? And he goes, it's all right. <laughs> It'll do for now. <laughs> you know, but what, what I love about some of these stories, I mean, Steve was um, a much bolder individual than I was. He also had carpentry skills. Mm. You know, we built out the downstairs, that place ourselves. We didn't have the money to hire a contractor, you know. So I, I just think back on it. And, you know, in a way, as close of friends as we were, you know, we were real different. And, you know, as you have time to reflect on things, you know, the fact that we were different made us much stronger as partners. You know, if we we're just exactly alike, you know, you don't need two of those type deal. And uh, and just uh, 
valuing the differences and valuing diversity obviously is a principle that you know has, has meant so much to us over 47 years but you know I, I wouldn't have articulated these things right this way in 1975 and at age 22 but with 47 years to reflect on it uh it seems it seems real real obvious that that was yeah that, that was important to us so um Steve comes up with the name, his idea to open a place, obviously. His younger brother, you know, sources this um, sources this artist for us. I mean, I uh, just can't thank Steve enough for what an idea he had and uh, just the fact that we ever even, yeah. this thing ever, ever occurred. Um, fast forward two and a half years, Steve had met his wife. Um, at Eskimo Joe's, and he wanted to move on and uh, and do some other things. He was actually very entrepreneurial. We we looked at several ventures that uh, we couldn't get funded, <laughs> while even in the short time we were partners. But to be honest, uh, so he wanted to sell, I wanted to buy, and I bought his half interest in January 1978. Um, very amicable dissolution of the partnership. It was nobody knew. <laughs> who was making the right move for sure because the business was still so, so tiny. But um, but I, I really loved working it. I yeah. liked uh, the hospitality piece. I just enjoyed being there. And honestly, Steve's interests were, were hey, we can get somebody to run this deal and let's, and let's go do, do a whole one. bunch of other things. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I, I think I think the um, I think the way it went was probably the way it was meant to go. But um, at any rate, yeah, um, I did become the sole proprietor in uh, January of 1978. Well, when you when you when Steve comes up with the idea and this is happening, well, I mean, how is there many bars in Stillwater at this point? Was there much competition, or was it just like, hey, I'm going to open a bar because we think we should, do, you know, a college campus always needs another bar. Yeah, and there were several, okay. and they were very successful. Yeah. you know, I mean, it was. Uh, it was a. It was just you know something that was happening. Sure. Actually, there was a bar just a half a block east of us, the Gray Fox Inn, that was huge, and uh, and it was very very successful. Mm-hmm. There's another one right across the street from us that was there then and remains today, and so um, you know, yeah, it was it was kind of a scene, yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of a thing uh, to say the least. You know, I like to say. Um, so much for market research, right? I mean, our deal was a 15-minute deal, but I guess we might have done a little market research in the years prior to graduating and opening. I had been in in a few of those little honky-tonks. Right, yeah, exactly. You gotta, I you knew know. there was a market Yeah, for it. you know there's a need some way, right? <laughs> yeah, How you can be yeah. a little different. Well, uh, you know, I remember in, in the college business, uh, first econ class, you know, why would you open a business? One reason, make money. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. no margin, no mission. If we're not profitable, we can't help anybody. We can't employ anybody. We can't do any good for the greater good. Uh, you know, you can't stay in business. So at any rate, uh, yeah. we, we knew there was a market for, yeah, yeah, yeah. for beer. So, and obviously, like, that's quite a big decision to make. I think, you know, when you, you know, three years in, you and Steve, like, you know, he obviously had the idea of, hey, we want to go on and do bigger, better things and do more. And you seem to have fallen in love with Stillwater and didn't really want to leave, I assume. Like, I'm yeah, happy And here. I'm not, I'm not sure that Steve even was dead set on the idea of leaving the community as much as just, you know, going to probably go on and pursue right. other interests. Still very early in your lives and yeah. careers, right? Right. And he certainly did end up then moving away from Stillwater, but... Um, yeah, it's just just an interesting, an interesting deal, just an evolution. One one other fun early on story I'd like to share is, so once we got the place open, you know, uh, I mentioned music was a big differentiator. All the other bars in town, literally, the guests had to plug a jukebox mm. for the music to even you know come on, and then once it did, if people kept feeding it, music continued. Um, but but ours. Part of our mix was going to be music. Yeah. And we pieced together a stereo from home. Mentioned we had a great system. And then it would really play loud. But so, you know, the place was just jumping. It was so fun. We spun tunes. We had two turntables behind the bar. And and in addition to, you know, reaching for the cold beer, pouring a pitcher or, or handing over a long neck or whatever uh, the guests wanted, um, we were always spinning tunes. And it was just so fun to just be able to kind of, 
just keep the place jumping yeah. by, by the music that we would select. And uh, I just had a blast yeah. standing back there and spinning tunes and candidly kind of singing along with all the tunes. And uh, so it, it was just it was just a great part of it. We'd been open maybe a month, and a friend of mine, uh, a friend of ours from Tulsa, his name was A.L. Bennett. I, I remember this like it was yesterday. He comes in, he says, hey, Clark, got a new record by Elvin Bishop. Would you spin it for me? Well, sure. So he hands it over, and the name of the record was Juke Joint Jump. Came out in 75, and um, fooled around and fell in love was the big hit off of that record. Yeah. But the title track and the name of the record was Juke Joint Jump. So we dropped the needle on it. You know, the first track's by far the easiest one to hit, especially Friday night at 1030 and we're packed. And uh, so, you know, the needle goes down and and it starts off with a little, you know, musical intro, a few bars. And then first line of the song is, there's a jumping little juke joint away out in the sticks. And I turned to file and I said, that's it. We're Stillwater's jumping little juke joint. That's where that came from. Yeah. Printed that on the back of about 25 million T-shirts. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah. that's where that came from. Yeah. Do you, uh, I assume you probably know Steve Irby pretty well now. Oh, yeah. Did you know yeah. Steve back in the day when you wrote? Because he's, he's a big music guy. Oh, yeah, Obviously, he sure you know. is. You know, unfortunately, our paths never really crossed. Yeah. Um, that seems like a natural thing of you guys yeah. to just, you know. Well, he he is a musician. Because he's a little, course, probably a little older, started, right? He started a very cool company. You know, that first um, speaker that they created slid down yeah. behind, you know, behind the seat in a pickup truck and gave a great big bottom end to, to uh, you know, yeah. guys in pickups. And, of course, today, you know, Kicker's just worldwide. An amazing, amazing success story. Yeah, that campus is great. Yeah, but Really what, cool. Oh, it, it is. Yeah. It's incredible. But what a wonderful person. Uh, what I know about Steve is he's... He's genuine. Uh-huh. He's real. He cares about people. He's a—he's just a great, great person. Yeah. And uh, of course, admire his success, but yeah, him more personally. So moving forward, then, when when do you guys introduce food, and when does the legendary cheese fries enter the mix? <laughs> well, so uh, for the first nine years, just a bar. Yeah. And uh, we truly became Stillwater's jumping little juke joint. It was great business. It was really hopping. And um, in the fall of 1983, the state legislature changed the drinking age from 18 to 21. Yeah. And that was really forced by the federal government because the threat was any state that didn't come up to 21 for their drinking age was going to get cut off from um, highway funding. So obviously, no state could afford to, uh, you know, to lose their federal funds for, for highway building, road building. So, boy, that just that just came down on me like a hammer, you know. It was like, wow. Here I am, I'm eight years in. This place is going great guns. It's a great business. And all of a sudden, they just kind of literally tugged the rug out for yeah. us, you know. So I was very scared. I remember um, back in the day, Tulsa had two papers. The Tulsa World was their morning paper, and the Tulsa Tribune was their evening paper. And the Tribune came over, and they took a picture of me, and they said, you know, I kind of have a smile on my face. That's sort of my natural way. But uh, they said, wipe that, wipe that grin off your face. You need to look a little more glum for this piece, you know. But their cut line was, new beer law chills tavern owners. So I thought, oh, that's so clever. I wish I could write that well. But at any rate, um, and so, you know, yeah. it just literally scared us to death. But what what we did in response, I thought through it. I thought the only way I can think to leverage the same business, uh, the same building, I mean, the same trade name facility at a kitchen and see if maybe we can become successful as a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't, I just couldn't think of any other way to keep it going and to make it work. Because certainly, when you take freshmen, sophomore, and juniors out of the mix, yeah. just the beer business, I just it's didn't see any way yeah. that that was ever going to be able to make. So we very quickly added a kitchen. We added an atrium on the east side to give us a little bit more um, year-round seating. Had a couple banks that had to get involved to get me there. 
um, had some great advice from some restaurateurs who said, start very simply. Mm-hmm. Don't do anything you can't do exceedingly well. You can always expand. Very, very good counsel. We started with a really simple menu, but we were full service, which required us to go from 13 employees up to fall 83, 13 total employees. I'd hired them all myself. I worked behind the bar with them every mm-hmm. single week to 45, yeah. 45 it took to have a small kitchen and a small, simple menu and be able to serve at the tables. Wow. Huge change. But uh, we got our kitchen open in the spring of 1984. And I always like to share that I was really thrilled to death to figure out that, you know, more people actually eat every day than drink every day. And there actually was quite a market for food. (laughs) So although I didn't really know how to do it well or do it right, and certainly not how to do it profitably, we did have a great product. And so we did fresh everything from day one. And uh, we emulated some great burgers that I'd grown up with in Tulsa. There was a place called Goldie's Patio Grill, and and that that char burger was kind of our Joe's special, we called it at the time. And uh, we did a little onion fried burger. My favorite onion fried burger in Tulsa was a little place called Claude's. has about 12 bar stools at it. uh, But I'd eaten there really from the time I was just a kid with my parents. Uh, Fresh cut fries, you know, I just knew that if you fresh cut taters are Mm. way better than anything frozen. So that was kind of the basis of our early menu. And we had a little grilled dog. And, um, and not very long after we opened, uh, we hired a young man who, who had been a cook at a restaurant. And he said, oh, I've got a great recipe for a marinated chicken breast. So we added our fowl thing very shortly afterwards. But at any rate, that was just the foundation of our menu. Honestly, those are still our best-selling items. And, uh, and not long after we opened... Uh, Robert Williams, our director of restaurant operations, second food guy ever hired, still with me to this day. He's been with me 39 years. Um, But uh, Robert came up with the idea of doing cheese fries. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just kind of like nachos, except you're just using French fries as your base. And and, uh, so we started doing cheese fries. Well, cheese fries were an item. They're okay. I mean, they're very good, but they, you know, they were just an item. But you asked about it. Fast forward to 1990. President George H.W. Bush, President number 41, um, comes to Stillwater to do the commencement exercise in uh, in May of 1990. <clears throat> and one of his opening comments was, I wish Barbara could be with me here. She did tell me to get a beer and some cheese fries over at Eskimo Joe's. And... He just brings the house down. There's 40,000 people in Lewis Field that day watching this speech and, and at the commencement exercise. Crowd just went absolutely nuts. And as they simmer down, he says, hoping at the same time they have enough T-shirts for all the grandchildren. And the place goes wild again. So at any rate, yeah. that day, cheese fries became our became signature. Became a thing. Yeah. Everybody that came back ordered cheese fries. Right. <laughs> Takes two pieces of china to do it. One that goes through the cheese melter and comes out piping hot. Yeah. The other one just so we can handle it to get it to the table. We ran out of china in 15 minutes because <laughs> we'd never sold that many cheese fries. But a uh, very special day in our history. I'll never forget it as long as I live. Thankfully, OSU, you know, recorded the mm. um, the whole speech. And so I do have access to that. and. Uh, nothing quite like it. That's incredible. You also mentioned, you know, the T-shirt thing. So you you had T-shirts from from quite early on. Then we actually had them day one. We, yeah. we literally did. Uh, some guys opened a screen printing business um, in summer of '75. The same time we were building out Eskimo Joe's, and they came by and knocked on the doors and yeah. said, "Hey guys, why don't you print your logo on the on the front of some T-shirts?" And we thought, well, that might work. You know, I don't know. We we were thinking more like on beer glasses and, uh, you know, coasters and yeah. bar stuff. Yeah. But I, again, I got to give my parents credit. Back in 70, let's see, um, it was actually spring, spring of 72, I went with my parents to a convention in Hawaii, um, and it was for the Distribution Contractors Association. I mentioned my dad was a pipeliner. He actually helped create the Distribution um, Contractors Association about a decade before that, and was the first president of it for the first couple of years. But at any rate, um, so I go to Hawaii. And so while I'm there, 
I went to a place called Crazy Shirts, and they were one of the pioneers of printed T-shirts. And, of course, they're still in business today, very famous. But um, I bought a couple of T-shirts, and I, I wore them all the time. I just loved them. One of them was... Uh, keep on trucking, you know, and this guy had this great big foot that was always out front, and it was kind of a popular little thing back in the early 70s. And, uh, but at any rate, I wore those T-shirts all the time. And had I not had that lucky uh, exposure, I'm not sure we would, have, we would have connected to that idea because it's hard to remember, but, I mean, printed T-shirts, it just wasn't the huge industry that it is today. It just yeah. wasn't. And so we were early with that. And looking back in 71, Hard Rock London and Hard Rock New York opened. And they really set the table for going to a place for fun and, and leaving with a souvenir T-shirt. Yeah. I mean, they were really the early pioneers of that, it, at least to my knowledge. Sure. And I'd never been to a Hard Rock at that point. But fast forward to 1988, we opened in 75. November 28th, 1988, Tulsa World published a story about um, our shirts, Eskimo, Eskimo T-shirts, a hot seller or something like that was the, was the headline. But um, they likened us to Hard Rock New York. They said, we were one of the most collectible T-shirts in the country behind Hard Rock London and Hard Rock New York. Now, from that, Oklahomans... Lumped Hard Rock, and the, the urban myth became that Eskimo Joe's T-shirts were the second biggest selling T-shirts in the country behind Hard Rock. And uh, people still talk about that. I mean, that still comes off the lips yeah. of our guests. And so that was another, just one of those kind of like President Bush in 90 and 1988 that was just huge. Right. Our sales went off the charts after that article yeah. um, was published. You know, it wasn't moving up the demand curve. It was a shift in demand. I mean, it was really, really a mega, a mega thing for us, you know. And I still to this day, I can't substantiate that. I have no idea. don't even know exactly where that um where that came from. Yeah. But I was thankful. Right. It's a, I mean, it's a, a, no doubt a giant part of your business now, yeah. right? And probably bigger oh, yeah. than the food side. Like oh, yeah. It's just, oh, yeah. it's such a huge thing. And even when you go to Joe's and just walk away with a cup, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, or you, and, and obviously because they're both joining, you know, you, you join, you got right. this huge store right next door. Right. You know, it's not hard. You don't have to go outside. You just go, come on guys, go. It, it's, it's perfect, right? Oh, it, you know, it's just been an amazing great. run and, and a huge blessing. And, uh, yeah. you know, I just can't credit, uh, you know, all I can credit is the great people that have helped me every single day. You know, we talk about it every day. Uh, when someone hires on with us, they all go through what I call Smiles 101. And it's an orientation and it's a chance for me to share our vision of greatness. But I conduct those personally mm-hmm. with everybody we hire uh, roughly every three weeks to a month, um, all year long. And, um, but it's just a chance to tell our story to them, teach them our history and go through our vision of greatness. But what we tell them is, Hey, you all are the future of our company. And every time we interact with an external customer, mm. we put our brand name on the line and we're either building our brand or we're unfortunately tearing it down. There's really kind of no middle ground. There was a huge um, quality study done by the White House back in the in the 80s, and it determined that about seven out of 10 people quit a business if and when they encounter an attitude of indifference on the part of a team member. So every time we interact, we need to be on. You know, we need to be locked in. We need to be empathetic, and we need to be doing whatever we can Our mission statement is ultra simple. It's to delight every guest by giving my best. Mm -hmm. And we wrote it in first person on purpose because we want everybody that hires on to read it and then to own it. I say, I want you to act like you own the place. It's easy for me to want to delight every customer. I own it. I get that you don't. But please emulate that. Please own it while you're there. You know, I like to say, hey, you're clocked in. We're paying you for every minute you're there. And candidly, equity demands that you create value for this company if you're on the clock. This isn't a government handout. This is a business. You know, this is for profit. This is capitalism. It's what our country's based on. And that's just equitable. 
You know, I always say, hey, look, this isn't easy. It's very difficult. It takes a phenomenal amount of energy to be good at hospitality. Yeah. And the thing is, if you don't want to give it up and do it, that's fine, but don't work here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it won't yeah. make you a bad person, but it's going to make you a bad fit. Right. And you have to be all in and you have to be enthusiastic. Yeah. 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 It's just, it's just not an option. Yeah. Talking of branding, when, when does Joe and Buffy end up in a, in a, a life-size suit and on the side of the sidelines during games? Yeah, that's a great question. And unfortunately, I'm going to have to refer to this. Eskimo <laughs> Joe and yeah. Buffy debut as life-size mascots in 1990. Okay. 1990, same year that uh, President Bush. Have you ever the, put it on? Have you ever put the, the suit on and been out I there? I have. And were you on, on, out in the field? In a pro, not on field. No? <laughs> They're very, very warm. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, in the middle of the summer, it's not something I want to wear. <laughs> They're very, very warm, but it has been a blast. Yeah. And just, uh, you know, just to bring them to life. And fortunately for most people, they're fun and kids love them and they adore them and they want them. And, you yeah. know, people even rent them to come to the kid's birthday party or whatever. But sometimes, unfortunately, they are a little scared <laughs> to, to little ones, you know, because yeah, they're yeah. pretty big. Yeah. And, and so uh, we, it, we always regret that when it, it, when it scares a child. It's funny you say that. I interviewed one uh, a young lady a few years ago who rode bullet um, for for a few oh, years, yeah, and yeah. she said that bullet, the bullet that she rode was scared to death of one of the of Joe, of and Joe I think, yeah, and said that like <laughs> couldn't like would not go down the tunnel if they were there, right? You know, which is kind of an issue if she's got to go back in the tunnel after you know well, to get I the game back you on. This it's. Uh, that that still is the case yeah. today. I'm sure it's a different bullet. Right. But uh, but yeah, we're we come in on the east end of of, uh, of the football stadium now versus the west end because because uh, Joe spooks bullet. <laughs> yeah, I mean growing pains, right? It's it's it, I mean horses, right? They're, they're skittish. They I mean they're beautiful creatures, but some things freak them out. And I can understand why a giant head that's eye level with the horse will freak you out a little bit, especially so in a dark tunnel. Here's 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 an ironic thing so just this just this football season we came out with a new t-shirt here comes bullet is the big hook line on the back we're blessed for the last dozen years we've been able to co-brand with with oklahoma state university and combine eskimo joe and buffy with pistol pete it's been so much fun and uh as you know osu actually invited us to the party invited us to do that our our agreement is unique in all of the United States of America, the only Division One company that, that co-brands with a local brand. And I just can't tell you how proud that makes you. Yeah. You know, you've been in business at the time, 35 years, in the shadows, you know, of Oklahoma State. And then when, uh, when their uh, vice president of marketing comes and asks us if we'd like to do that, that's, I'll never forget that as long as I live. Yeah. At any rate, it's been very special. Yeah. So this shirt is just blowing out. The, the week we introduce it, everybody on Bullet's team comes and buys the T-shirt. You know, they post on social media. Yeah. There they are with Bullet and all their people in the trailer and the whole deal. And yet, unfortunately, Joe scares Bullet. <laughs> so there's just irony in all there's that. There's total irony there, but, isn't uh, it? Yeah. And all this, I mean, all this like in the last couple of Yeah, weeks. of course. That's amazing. <laughs> so uh, the other thing I think you're probably pretty proud of is you were Grand Marshal one year for homecoming, right? Oh, yeah. How yeah, was that, that experience? That is true. That was that was quite an honor. Yeah, it was really a blast. And my kids were little, you know, and my wife and I, and the, sitting on the back of a, a little, you know, convertible, tooling down Main Street in the parade. It was it was great. Fun. Yeah, great fun. Yeah, no doubt. And obviously, America's brightest, you know, homecoming. <laughs> Fantastic experience. I took my parents to it one year, and they were just blown away. They'd never seen that many people in the stadium or outside. Just watching football they thought it was incredible um, it is a neat tradition our, our homecoming tradition is just frankly it's just amazing and it's a it's a wonderful testament to the community of Stillwater that you can still let 20 30 i don't know what the number is maybe yeah. more thousands of people just gather and just just mill around you know through the, through right. the campus area and all the greek areas uh, greek housing areas mm -hmm. you know for 
for several hours there on a Friday evening. It's 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 very unique and very, very special. Yeah. So bringing it then forward, obviously we told some great stories and, and bringing it kind of to, to today. Uh, you guys still have live music, right? You're still playing we do. music? Uh, we don't do it as much as sure. we have at certain times in our history. Um, in all candor, the late night piece of our business, which is our legacy and it's what got us going, mm-hmm. is... Uh, Candidly, ever since we introduced food in 84, food was the growth side and the alcohol sales has become the lesser and lesser side. So we don't do nearly as much of the late night part of our business. And candidly, during COVID, for about two years, we we got out of the late night business altogether. We actually uh, just shut down at the end of food service because, you know, once we we could get back open, at least... um, you know, that was the core of the business. That's what people wanted and needed. But we didn't trust uh, the late night piece uh, was safe. Mm-hmm. We just didn't think that was even the right thing to do. So we actually completely um, put it aside. But we're, we're back in business now. Yeah, and I'm yeah. thankful for that. Yeah. And uh, and we still provide a great, wholesome, fun spot uh, late night with non-smoking and uh you know, a lot of places that are alcohol only still allow smoking. So we're real proud of the fact that uh, that ours is a, a smoke-free yeah, environment. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, tell me about that that phone call you get about being inducted into your Oklahoma Hall of Fame. Tell me about that. I know in 2012 or 2011, you get a phone call saying, you know what, we've selected you. Where were you when you had that phone call? You know, um, I, I honestly can't say that I remember exactly where I was but uh, but I was blown away. <laughs> you know, I was like, wow, really? <laughs> Me? <laughs> yeah. uh, gosh, well, thank you. And to be honest, uh, I'd only become aware of, of the Oklahoma Hall of Fame just a few years before that, mm-hmm. um, probably three. But my good friend, Billy Wayne Burgess, whom I met, the first day of my Leadership Oklahoma experience, Bill and I were in uh, Class 9. I think they're on about 34 now, so that's been a little been while, a while back. Yeah. But uh, we became fast friends. We, we roomed together at St. Crispin's, and, and uh, so for that entire um, experience, which was wonderful, by the way, eight months and all over the state together, and then... Um, every you know every year since, um, but anyway, I became a, aware of it when he was being inducted. Yeah, and he invited me to the ceremony. I said, "Oh, this is so neat!" And I'll just never forget what a wonderful experience it was. He had a little pre-party and a little post-party, and and uh, but the ceremony itself with a big orchestra and just. The way it was produced, it, it just kind of blew me away. And that's that's when I first really became aware of this institution, even knew about it. Yeah. Um, but wow. Yeah, what a call to get. What a fun process it was. Uh, uh, just a just a wonderful, yeah. wonderful experience. Who, uh, so humbling. Who introduced you on stage that day? Bill. Okay, <laughs> great. Yeah, Bill yeah. And did. And now, obviously, you're very involved because you're on the board. Yeah. Yeah. So then I've had the opportunity to serve on the board. Um, I was actually uh, asked to serve on the board by Calvin Anthony, um, who was inducted just last year, might have been two years ago. And uh, Calvin called me. I've known Calvin. He's a huge, huge pillar in in Stillwater and at Oklahoma State University, Board of Regents, et cetera. And um, Calvin called me. He said, said, hey, would you like to serve on the board? And I said, well, I, I guess. He said, well, Burns and I are on it. He said, I think I think you'd really enjoy it. I go, well, hey, if it's good enough for you and Burns, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, came down and was, I've just, I've just enjoyed the association so very mm-hmm. much. Just a world-class place, wonderful, wonderful people who care so much about our state. And uh, it's really been a very, very enriching experience. I've I can't say how much I've enjoyed every minute I've spent in this facility serving on the board and serving alongside just some wonderful, wonderful 
now lifelong friends. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great group to be associated with, right? Because you're in the room and you, you think, you know, who's on that table? And you're like, oh, wow, they do this, right? They're pretty important. <laughs> and then you look across like, well, they, they are too. And then like I was sat at lunch yesterday, you know, we had, uh, had a meeting at lunch yesterday and I'm just like, do I really belong in this room? Like I haven't done anything, you know, like when you have that internal conversation with yourself, right? But it is a great room to be involved in. And obviously the organization does great things, especially for education and the kids and the building's incredible. And people listening to this podcast know I, you know, obviously they have a huge support of the podcast and I'm thankful for that. And, you know, I get to show this place off, which is a huge honor to have invite people down here. Uh, but finishing up, what, I mean, what's, what's life like today? Like, what do you, what do you do for fun? You mentioned golf at a young age. Are you still playing? You listen to a lot of music at live shows. I mean, what's life like now since, I mean, obviously you're still involved in the business, but right. you get to well, enjoy it a little more now. I do. Uh, I do still go to work every single day. I live in Stillwater offices right across the street from Eskimo Joe's and and I've sort of uh, assured everyone that works there that I want I want the business to continue beyond my lifetime, mm-hmm. and I've got everything set up uh, where whereby it can. Um, we have three children, and so I, I still love um, home life. Um, our two younger children are twins; they're eighteen. They're both seniors, mm-hmm. so I still got kids. Really, you know. Yeah. Um, around and, and so very active in that. Our elder daughter is only 20 and she's a sophomore at Oklahoma State University. So they're all still in Stillwater, which is wonderful. So um, really the family has been the more more the focal point of my life for the last 20 years, but very soon to be, to be empty nesters. And uh, so when it comes to just having fun, uh, golf really is, you know, at the top of my list. Yeah. Um, my wife and I have enjoyed travel over the years, and we certainly enjoy concerts. So that's that's been a big part of, you know, what we do just for fun when we're out and about. And uh, crazy about our church, we go to Sunnybrook uh, in Stillwater, and it's just a wonderful part of our lives. And uh, that's just been a yeah. huge blessing. Always was raised Methodist, went to Boston Avenue as a child, and First United Methodist in, in Stillwater. Um, but... We moved to Sunnybrook because they had such a wonderful, wonderful um, kids program, youth program. And so, and we've enjoyed that ever since. And uh, I'm sure we'll be there for the rest of our lives. But um, so that's a big, yeah. big part of who we are and uh, what we think is important in our lives. So, hey, right. That, that's, you know, that's, that's kind of, kind of what we're yeah. all about, what we do. Um, I plan to work, you know, probably haul me out of the <laughs> office, you know, in the proverbial pine box. I don't know that that'll be the case. Yeah. But today at 69, I feel great. And I, you know, I love, I still love doing what we do. Um, I'm more than willing to work the rest of my lifetime, but my senior managers, of course, are not going to do sure. that. And they're going to, they're going to sunset. So I do have some major transitions um, mm. to deal with in, in the near term. And so, um, that, that's going to be the next really big yeah, challenge yeah. is to figure out how to navigate that. And, uh, but it's, it's going to be great opportunity for some people who've committed their many, many years of their lives uh, to our organization and, and it'll provide some, right. some new and unique opportunities for them. And so I just look forward to, to the next phase, you know, yeah. and, and, and it, it'll be here before I know it. Also, milestone event coming up. In 2025, we'll celebrate our 50th anniversary, which I'm very excited about that. We're already planning yeah. uh, planning that event. You know, our anniversary celebrations have been a big deal at Eskimo Joe's. And, of course, the first year, you're just celebrating that right, you, you, know, made it a year. you made it a year. <laughs> uh, fast forward uh, to our eighth anniversary. We came up with our first anniversary T-shirt idea. That's yeah. kind of became a thing. And then at our 10th, I did something that was a little bit different. I recorded a couple of songs about Eskimo Joe's. Last Night at Joe's and the Juke Joint Shuffle were the yeah. two tracks. We made them on a 45. And uh, so that, that's been a lot of fun. Fast forward another 10 years, did another song at the 20th anniversary called 20 Years Later. And uh, 21st, I did a cover of Too Much Fun and go to 35 and the theme was all roads lead to joe's and i said oh that sounds like a good song title wrote another one about joe's all roads lead to joe's so 
had a lot of fun with that. And as I'm as I'm talking through it, I can't imagine that I won't have to have a song for the 50th, you know, because yeah. it's just too much fun. I love doing it. So um, at any rate, we'll we'll be working for the next couple of years on how to really have a major blowout yeah. for our 50th anniversary. No doubt. That's awesome. I uh, I can't wait for it. I think it'll be a great time. And, and you know, it's it's probably a hard ticket to get, right? 50, <laughs> you know, like you pack that place out and uh, and everyone wants to be there. So that's, uh, that's awesome. Any other kind of milestone or huge events or over the years, people have just kind of, you know, come to you and things that come to mind. I mean, the president saying I want to come over and, and have some cheese fries is a pretty big one, right? That like, one was hard, hard to, to beat. Hard to top that one. <laughs> that one was but. hard to beat. You know, um, in 96, we just, you know, on a whim, we decided, well, it's presidential year. Let's let's run Joe for president. So we ran Joe for president. We had a great T-shirt and a great button, you know, campaign button, all these, all these collateral things that, that went along with that. And that, uh, that fall, um, Barbara Bush came and did a speech on the campus. So we found out where she was staying, and we sent her a nice gift basket of things. But one of the things we sent her was this Vote Joe for President uh, campaign button, and we explained to her you know, what we were doing with that. And uh, so she comes out, and it, this was in Gallagher Ibe Arena. And she comes out, and she says, well, I'm so glad to see so many of you students here on Friday night. She said, I thought you'd all be over at, and she pulls back the lapel on on her jacket she had on. She's got that campaign button, button down on the inside of it. Thankfully, an OSU photographer gets a got great yeah. shot of it. So, of course, we were just blown away with that and sent her a big thank you note. But at any rate, there's there have been some special things like that that you just can't replicate. Um, later on... Um, W came back and did a did a, a speech for graduation in 2006, and he had a similar open opening line, and he said, uh, "Laura's disappointed she can't be here, especially when she found out I'd planned a romantic dinner for two over at Eskimo Joe's." Was how, he, how W said it, but uh, you know, so That's again, awesome. these things you just you know you just can't buy them and. Uh, so been been some very special, yeah. very special things. Well, fantastic. Well, I really appreciate you coming down from Stillwater to share some stories. Obviously, you know, massive success and can't wait to see the celebration in a few years for the 50th anniversary. And I mean, I just, it's great seeing t-shirts all over the world, right? Like well, my dad's know, got one in Wales now, you know, <laughs> like they just, who would have thought, right? That you just have this, you know, you're like, yeah, when, when Steve's like, I'm going to open a bar. And you're like, yeah, I'll go in half. Like, not realizing what you're getting into and, and how it happens. And now you're here 47 years later. Yeah, it's much more a story of perspiration than it was of inspiration. <laughs> yeah. That's certain, you know. Um, I like to say, you, you know, if you've got 47 years to commit, I've got I've got a great roadmap for you. <laughs> you know, 47-year overnight success. Story. Yeah. But it has truly been a blessing. It's a labor of love. And, uh, you know, my dad always used to tell me, if you love what you're doing, you never work a day in your life. Right. And, uh, and that's really how I feel about it. It's just been a blast and a uh, huge blessing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny you mentioned shirts all over the world. Our 28th anniversary theme was the smile seen round the world. And our artists created uh, Joe and Buffy in a, in a VW bus and they're tooling along. And, and in, the, in that, you see the Eiffel Tower and um, the Red Square in Moscow and, you know, just all of these famous uh, places all around the world uh, the great big um, theater in uh, in Sydney, Australia, and all that stuff. So, but that that really stuck, and uh, and we've we've stuck with that as one of our major taglines: the smile seen around the world, because yeah. it's really true. I mean, those shirts have gone all around the world. It's amazing. And with the advent of the internet, you know, and so easy to share files now. Yeah. Um, our guests share pictures of themselves all over the world, and that has been a blast. So on our website, we have the Wall of Fame where we where we show our guests, you know, literally all over the world at, at special places like that. And that's just been a, a really fun way to kind of share um, some of the ways that people, you know, yeah. have, have worn our shirts all over the world. Fantastic. I, I mean, for people listening, I have to say this, but I, you know, because I feel obligated to, but if you don't know who Eskimo Joes are, please go to EskimoJoes.com and go to shop.com 
shop.eskimojoes. I'll put the links to those down below and you'll see what we've been spending an hour talking about. I'm sure you're extremely aware of the situation uh, and the incredible brand that Eskimo Joe's is and the cheese fries obviously is worth driving to Stillwater for. Um, <laughs> but yeah, thank you, Stan, for coming down. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for sharing your story. Uh, I get so much more context now and where it all starts and, you know, from your dad and uh, you get all that entrepreneurial stuff and a little passion for music and it's uh, it's great and that's why we do this podcast. So thank you so much for coming down. Really appreciate it. And thank you very much. It has been my honor. I couldn't have enjoyed uh, the time more. And for all of you listening, please come to Stillwater and eat at Joe's and put on a smile. There we go. We'll catch you next episode. Cheers. Hope you guys enjoyed that great episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, huge shout out to our sponsors, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, sharing Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at OklahomaHOF. Our other sponsor, the Chickasaw Nation, amazing sponsor they do amazing things for the state and they're always sponsoring something in oklahoma they're a huge supporter of oklahoma and without their support we wouldn't be able to do what we do and finally our third sponsor for today the oklahoma 988 mental health lifeline 988 is the direct three-digit lifeline that connects you with the trained behavioral health professionals that can get all oklahomans the help that they need learn more by visiting 988oklahoma.com it's 988oklahoma.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.